my name's Ashley and this is my story. I grew up in a Christian home and a Christian school, went to church my whole life, um, knew all the right answers for Bible class and everything, and I loved it, wouldn't change it. Um, but about seven years ago, my life kind of went a different way, and I stopped going to church, pulled away from my friends and from my family, didn't really talk to anybody, um, all the while knowing that I wasn't living the life that I should and that God wanted me to come back. Um, it was a couple years since I'd been to church and one day I got this really cool postcard in the mail and really nice graphics and that just drew me and I went and I tried Jubilee for the first time and the first week I was there I knew this is where I'm supposed to be but I tried the three week challenge anyways just to be sure. So the next week I brought my mom and right away she knew that this is where she was supposed to be and she didn't even need the three week challenge. Um, since being here for the last couple of years, my faith in the Lord has just grown immensely through Sunday mornings, um, young adults on every other Monday night, and the women's group. And it's just been incredible, the friendships that I've made and just who it's helped me uh, become. My name is Ashley and I believe in new beginnings. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. You are, uh, you are right in the middle of God's will for your life. And you know how I know that? It's because you're here on the first week of a series. That's how I know that. So it's always best. There's nothing worse than coming in on like week three of a series and you haven't been here in a couple weeks. You are on week one of a brand new series. This is what I would call is a vision series. This is a series that we will lay out over the next few weeks that talks about who we are, how we see God, what we believe the Bible is speaking to us. And here's the over overarching theme is that we are a church that believes in new beginnings. Can I get an amen out there? Like, like, how many of you ever wanted that? You got to a stage in your life where you thought, man, I, I'd love to hit the reset button. I'd love a redo. I'd like a do-over. I'd like a clean slate. Some of us, some of us had had such rocky past that at points in our lives, we thought, man, if, if I could just like go to a new city and get a new name? Can I get like witness protection, new name, new job? Can, can I just get everything? I need a new beginning. And, 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 and we, we have these incredible stories. And I had a lot of you give me letters and notes and you emailed me and you gave me your stories and I've got stacks of stories and I wanted to find out your story. So over these next few weeks, not only are we gonna dig into the scripture, but we're gonna hear from you, whether it's by video or I'll share some of them from time to time about stories of new beginning. And, and if you're here, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag right now. This is this is what this day is really all about, is that when we read the scripture and we see what the Bible is really doing, and especially when you look at what Jesus is all about, this is what we discover, is that Jesus is all about new beginnings. His interactions with people, his miracles, the things, his teachings, what he's trying to do is make sure that you and I get to experience a new beginning. Here's what else we see, is that when I interact with people and I talk to people, you know what I discover that all people really want is? All people really want is a new beginning. And have you ever noticed that sometimes, even though Jesus is all about new beginnings and all, all we really want is a new beginning, that sometimes there are problems that come up, like these the obstacles that we face in terms of finding that new life in Jesus or figuring out what that means. And for sometimes it's people. For sometimes it's a bad church experience in our past. For some of us, it's, it's our doubt. For some of us, it's our own past sin and that kind of weighs on us and we don't think we're good enough for a new beginning. And so we have all these obstacles. But here's what I want for us to become as a church. 
I want for us as a church, I want us to become a conduit of new beginnings. I want us to be the people that help connect those that are away from God to their first steps with God. So if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 9, because what I found was is I found a story that seems so fascinating that literally in just a few verses, Jesus meets a man who was born blind. And for 30-something years, he lived blind. And in just a few verses, it's weird how he does it, but just in a few verses, he gives the man sight, something he had never had before. But, everybody say but. Come on, give me a big but. But for some reason, John takes what happens in a few verses and he stretches it out into the entire chapter of John chapter 9. It's 41 verses to describe how sometimes, even though Jesus wants you to have a new beginning, all you really want is a new beginning, that there are obstacles that come up against us because here's the reality and here's what the message is all about today. Not everybody believes in new beginnings. You know, that, that's kind of the title of, of the sermon. The alternative title that I had was, Haters Gonna Hate. Um, alternative title number two, uh, there are swagger jackers out there. Um, I had a couple more, I'll leave it at that. So anyway, not, not everybody believes in new beginnings. And, and I want you to know, you have a spiritual enemy that definitely is opposed to your new beginning. That You, you have people in life that become a part of that system that are trying to keep people from their new beginning. Are you, are you ready? I, wanna, I want you to read the story with me along. John chapter 9, the Bible says that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So his disciples asked him the question, Rabbi, who sinned, this guy or his parents, so that he was born blind? Which is a weird question because I think um, he was born blind, guys. Was he sinning in his mother's womb to trigger this negative reaction in life? What? Why are you even asking this question? So, but they asked the question, who sinned? And Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, how I many you know that's like the inspirational speech? Like Jesus is saying, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not concerned about who sinned here. That's, we're, we're, we have a blind man. Can we just focus on the blind man, please? Let's help the blind man. And he gives the inspirational speech of like, hey, this is why we're here. We're here to be the conduits of God's grace and love and mercy and helping people find their new beginning because I am the light of the world. And then something weird happens. And he spits on the ground. I just read the Bible, people. Having said the inspirational speech, he spit on the ground. Y'all thought I made that up. Y'all think I'm like crass or something. No, Jesus spit on the ground. How would you like this? You know, like you need a healing in your body and you, you go see the healing evangelist or you go to your pastor for healing. And what you really want is you really want for somebody to be like, I mean, just pray for you and they sweet tone and let you maybe lay hands on you and just, just pray for you. And then you have a warm sensation and the, a light flickers and the, there's like a, like a breeze that blows through. That's what you want. Jesus, on the other hand, spits on the ground. Verse number six, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed or smeared the man's eyes with the mud and then said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he washed, or so he went and washed and came back seeing. 
Isn't this amazing? Like, this is one of the great miracles of, of, of the Bible because they even go on to say later, like, hey, we've seen people blind and get their sight back. We have never seen a man born blind. Like, this is, this is pretty amazing. This is what the, the, the man later describes, as we'll see, is, is like, as he's describing his story, he's like, isn't this incredible? This is amazing. And so, again, Jesus makes mud, healing mud pie, apparently. And so, um, I don't know what to make of that. But do you see what the first obstacle is? Do you notice that, like I said, we all face these obstacles to our new beginning? The, the, the disciples, actually, the ones that are supposed to be with Jesus, the good guys, the ones that later write most of the New Testament, start churches, like the good guys. The good guys, they find a man that's blind, and then rather than saying, Jesus, can we heal him, they're trying to figure out what? Who sinned? This is kind of like the judging spirit. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like that? Like, all I want is a new life and a new beginning, and all I want is Jesus to touch my life. But some people around you, rather than just celebrating that new life, they've got the, the judging spirit. Does that make sense? They're the people that are always asking the questions that Jesus is not asking. They're always asking the questions that, that, that really nobody should be asking. I, I run into this from time to time. I'll be having conversations and be like, well, well, like, you know, this person committed suicide. They're going to hell, right? I'm like... Is that really the issue here? Or would it be better to pray for his soul and reach out with comfort to his family? Like, aren't we asking the wrong questions sometimes? Like, you run into people and be like, hey, you know, it, but he's gay. But like, so? You're a liar. You both are sinners. We all need Jesus. Like, isn't the point that we just connect with Jesus, not figure out your list of junk? Because your list of junk is just not as obvious. You have a you have a Christian way of hiding your junk or a rewording of it. And sometimes the judging spirit even comes out of that. We're like, hey, have you heard about, you know, they're going through a divorce. And, you know, I think she's got spending problems. And we should really pray for her. And we, we got the judging spirit with a touch of prayer. And the disciples have this a little bit on them. God bless their hearts. Which is, by the way, that's southern for, yeah, they're dysfunctional. I was talking to another Southern woman the other day. We were talking about that, like how whenever you are in the South, you're like, oh, God bless her soul. It's always followed by some type of judging comment. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. And then boom, we get him. So anyway, the disciples have the God bless your heart spirit, the judging spirit. As a matter of fact, I, I remember listening to a pastor and, and he was sharing his struggle when uh, uh, Barack Obama was elected the second time as the president. He was invited to go and pray at the inauguration for his second time. And you know what? He received like hate mail. As a pastor, he was just invited. He accepted the invitation. He was going to go pray. And then he started receiving all kinds of flack from people in the denomination, people around him, and old friends. And like, but do you know his politics? And do you know his policies? And do you know all these things? How could you go, how could you go pray for a man like that? He said, I, he said, this is a very, well, I won't mention his name. He's a very, very, highly influential pastor. He said, I had an opportunity to, to meet with Billy Graham. And he said, so because this was hot on my plate, he goes, I asked Pastor Graham what I should do in this situation. He goes, son, isn't it pretty simple? We're pastors. We pray for people. That's what we do. Go and pray. But sometimes we're, we, got the, we got the judging spirit. We're trying to figure out who sinned, what's their sin. Jesus is all about something completely different. The Bible says in verse number eight, it says, the neighbors, everybody say the neighbors. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, 
Well, isn't that the guy that used to sit and beg? And some were like, well, yeah, it's him. And some said, no, it just, it just looks like him. And he kept saying, no, 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 no. That's me. I, I'm him. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He said, well, this man named Jesus made mud. Notice he left out the spitting part. <laughs> like, you don't want to repeat that in the testimony part. Uh, he just made mud, and he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went, I washed, I received my sight, and they said to him, where is he now? And he goes, like, well, I don't know. I was blind when this was happening. I didn't see where he went. <laughs> everybody, say, everybody say the neighbors. So the second obstacle is, is the neighbors. This is what I would like to refer to as, as like the spirit of Christmas past. This is also what we call the back-in-the-day spirit, if you will. Um, have you ever had this before? Like you come to Jesus, Jesus gives you a new beginning, and then all your old homies are like, yeah, 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 but you remember back in the day? You remember how you used to be back in the day? Remember, remember how you used to have all those anger issues? Remember how you used to be up in the club? Remember how you used to be, you know, and, and I won't say all the things you used to do, but you know what I'm talking about, all the things that we used to do, and we used to have all the back in the day stuff, and they try, hey, I remember this. I remember when I was, when I was 16, I, I, I had a moment where I wanted to repent and turn to Jesus. And, 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 and you know what all my friends said? They're like, this won't last. You'll be back. And so they kept coming. Come on, man. You remember how back in the day you used to do this. And you were like, you, you, you used to be fun. And you used to be the life of the party. Oh, yeah, I was crazy is what I was. It was destroying my life. Thank you very much. You want me to go back to that. But it was, it was the back in the day spirit that said, you'll be back. You remember how you used to be. You remember how you used to be. Come on now. Back in the day spirit. Just so you know, it's all right that you have a back in the day. As a matter of fact, if you ever read the Bible, what you'll discover is this, is that everybody who ever followed Jesus had a back in the day. As a matter of fact, let me, let me help you even further. If, you, if you've ever questioned whether or not you were okay going to church or whether you were okay following to Jesus, let me help you. It is a requirement that you be a sinner for you to follow Jesus. That's the only type of people he accepts. So like, you're in good company. It, it, it's a requirement. As a matter of fact, you know what the basis of the whole story is, and we'll see this by the time that we get to the end, is that people that think they have no sin and are better than everybody else, he goes, y'all ain't with me. I only like people that like know they need me. Does that make sense? But if you're too good for me, good luck. So being a sinner, that's the prerequisite for being with Jesus. And he won't leave you the way that he found you. I'm not saying that Jesus just glosses over your sin. Doesn't care. No, I'm saying what you do is, is you bring all your sin to Jesus and then Jesus takes you and as you follow him, life begins to unfold with a brand new beginning. Somebody say amen. Let's keep reading. So the Bible says in verse, I don't know where I dropped off. Verse 13, there we go, thank you. So in verse 13, the Bible says, so they brought him to the Pharisees. Everybody say the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. That's Saturday for people who don't know. And that was their religious holy day. That was the day that they required to take a day off from work. So now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how exactly did you receive sight? And he said, well, he put mud on my eyes. I'm still not telling anybody about spit. And I washed and I see. The story even like, he's just like shortening it now. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since your eyes, or since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he must be a prophet. And so here we go and we find the, the Pharisees become a part of the process here. 
And if you ever read the Bible, when you especially read the life of Jesus, they always paint the Pharisees as the bad guys. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like they're the Klingons of the story or the, the dark side. You know, Darth Vader is their leader somewhere, and they're always the bad guys. And so, so anyway, the Pharisees get involved. They, they have what I would say is the, the spirit of religion. They have a religious spirit, and here's why I say that, is because they get uptight about what day of the week it is. Okay, again, we've, we've totally lost the focus of the fact that Jesus took a man who for 30-something years, he was born blind, and Jesus gave him new sight again. And rather than just celebrate that and congratulate that and worship God for that, we're mad about what day of the week it was. See, this is the problem. So in, in, in the New Testament, the reason why the Pharisees get a bad rap is this. is because in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible were called the Torah. Everybody say Torah. Okay, that was weak. Let's try that again like you're really enthusiastic. Everybody say the Torah. Okay, Torah is what they called that. Now, we took the word Torah, which to them meant the word instruction, and we translate it into the word law. Now, part of the Torah was law, but so much more of it was more than that. It was teaching, instruction on the best way to live life. Does that make sense? So they never saw law. They saw instruction on how God wanted you to live the best life possible. But, everybody say but. Okay, here's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees lived in a time period where they had taken Torah and then added to it. So they had added on top of that something they referred to as the tradition of the elders, which was basically this. So in the Torah, there's like 600 different commands of like the best way to live life. They added like another 600 on top of that. Let, let me give you an example of why they're upset about the Sabbath. So the Bible says in the Sabbath to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Are we all familiar with that or maybe have heard that before? Honor the Sabbath and keep that holy. Well, here's the problem. What exactly does that mean? How should I interpret it? Or to what degree should I interpret it? So they had these different rabbis and teachers come out and say, well, well, really what it means is you shouldn't have a laborious day or a work day. But then the other guys said, well, you can't walk a certain distance. And one guy was like, well, how far can I walk? Well, you can walk two miles, but you can't walk three miles. And they get into these discussions and debates, and they would complicate what was originally meant to be just pretty simple. And so all the complications and all the add-ons of what you couldn't do, like there was, there was at least a dozen different rules of stuff you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And I don't know, but apparently healing people is one of them. And again, Jesus is like, really? Like we're going to open up blind eyes and you're jacked up about what day of the week it is? Haven't we missed the big picture? Because Jesus is all about New beginnings. Let's keep going now. So the Bible says in verse number 18, it says, the Jews. Everybody say the Jews. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight. So now we got a new obstacle. Like, holy cow, like it's the disciples, it's the neighbors, it's the Klingon people. It's, 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 now, it's just, now it's just the whole body of group of people that's listening to this whole story. And they say, well, we just think this is a hoax. We don't, we don't even believe. Have you ever been there before? I remember this. I, I, I'm telling you a lot about my salvation story. So I come to Jesus at the age of 17. And I remember going back to school for my senior year. Now, here's what you need to know about me as a teenager. Is I was a terrible human being. And um, I did lots of bad things. And I had a terrible reputation. As a matter of fact, all from, from middle school, um, my, my, my principal had my mom's number on speed dial. I'm not lying. Like, like for Gary Long had my mom, Sue Hendricks, up on speed dial because of how awful me and my brother were. And, and so I had, I had the people that, that, that I went back to school my senior year, and I had been so mean to my homeschool teacher. She was this really mean woman, so I let her have it. And... Um, 
This is before I knew Jesus. And, and so I was just mean to her and gave her a hard time and basically tormented her soul. And, and, but the year I come back, I come back because I, I become a Christian during the summer in between my junior and senior year. And I come back and I'm like, you know, love Jesus, love people, trying to do the right thing and be a better person. And God had really changed my heart in just a short, short, short amount of time. She wanted nothing to do with me. She literally thought I was lying and that I was playing some type of new tormenting trick on her. Hey, check this out. So like my, my whole, okay, my high school, like you have different pockets and cliques of people. And like, you know, so we had like the jocks and then we had like the, the stoners. But I was over there. And, and, so, and so like the coaches didn't want anything to do with us because we were that. And, uh, and I'm not trying to celebrate that, but I remember even coming back to school for my senior year and was so done with that lifestyle. And I asked one of the coaches about playing a particular sport. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, that's okay. We don't need you around here. And I'm like, no, I've changed, really. He's like, sure you have. And I'm like, why does no one believe me? Hey, check this out. So I'm a, I'm a pool kid, too, during the summer. And so, like, I lived all my summertime going to the pool, which is a community pool. I was, like, five houses down from my house. And sure enough, I, I'm telling you, you don't know how bad I was as a human being. And I used to torment people. And so I tormented all of the parents and, and, and stuff that went to the pool. As a matter of fact, this was the reputation that I had, is that when I showed up to the pool, people would leave because I got there. And that's how, that's how bad I was. And so sure enough, I, I, that, that summer I get saved, God radically changes my heart. I come back that next summer to get a job as a lifeguard. And they're like, mm -mm, you can't work here. Like nobody believed that Jesus had changed my heart. And so when I read this guy's story, I'm like, I get you. Because you got, you got back in the day friends, and you got the nobody believes you, and then you got the everything about your past and who sinned, and I had a big laundry list of sin, and I'm like, I feel like, but see, here, here's the deal. I had no idea at the time. It was only in retrospect that I looked back and saw all the obstacles, but here's my point is this, is that when Jesus is in your heart, all these things begin to fall away and fade away. You keep pressing on, you keep moving towards Jesus, and that new beginning is right there. Somebody say amen, please. So anyway, the, the spirit of unbelief gets on the Jews. They didn't even believe. So so this is, this is what happens. This is why I feel his pain, because they call his parents. Hey, straight up, they, they called his parents. That's why I told you I relate to this guy. So the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they decided to call his parents. So verse number 19, they asked his parents, is this your son who was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son. We can, we can prove that. And we know he was born blind, we, we can prove that. But how he sees, we don't really know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. You can ask him, he's old enough. He will speak for himself. Look at this, verse 22, this, this sheds huge light on it. His parents said these things because they what? They feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone was with Jesus, they would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, well, he's of age, you can ask him. So, so, so not only do we have the, the, the spirit of, of unbelief, now we have the spirit of fear. Like the parents just don't wanna get involved because, well, it would jeopardize my social standing. I mean, this is the deal. You gotta remember that life revolved around the synagogue. It's like a small town back in the day that the church was the epicenter and everything revolved around it. Community life, social life, and your standing in the church basically dictated your standing in the community. And so the parents were not wanting to get involved because they were afraid, hey, look, if they know we're with Jesus, what will they think of us? Have you ever been there in life? Have you ever wanted so badly just to follow Jesus, but you're like, man, if I go to work, they know how I am. 
at the water cooler, and they know all my dirty jokes, and they know I'm a this, and they know my mouthiness, and they know my attitude, and I come in and try to be something different, they're going to be like, what's up with you? Why are you so different? And I'm going to have to like make up some weird story about being better. Because so I, 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 like, I got to be honest, I was a youth pastor for like 10 years. You, you talk to teenagers about like, hey, you know, don't worry about this. You can follow Jesus and stand up for Jesus in your school. I've found parents are, are actually sometimes more fearful than teenagers are when it comes to sharing their faith. Like, that's just, I, I'm just telling the truth. I've seen so many adults that, 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 that have less courage sometimes than teenagers because they're afraid, in my workplace, what will they say? In my family, what will they say? And some of you, depending on maybe what religious background, you know like, well, they're this, and they ain't gonna dig it if I start following Jesus, or I start going to that church. And so we get, we get bound up with fear. Again, I, I so relate to this guy because I had the same thing. I go back into my senior year as a high school student, and I think, all my friends do is that. And we don't do anything else. Like, I can't hang out with them anymore because that's all that we do. And so I thought, you already didn't, you know, like, how am I going to have friends? Who am I going to hang out with? What are they going to say? And so literally, I went to my senior year, and all my friends are this, and I just can't keep doing that because I want to follow Jesus. And I have this fear that overwhelms me. It says, well, if I follow Jesus, what will people think? What will people say? What will my social standing be? And it's the fear that grips us and many times keeps us and holds us back from really experiencing all that God has for our life. Let's keep reading the story. So the Bible says in verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> I, just, I can't make this stuff up. Um, you give glory to God. Jesus is a sinner. He answered and he goes, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. This is what I know. I used to be blind and now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He goes, I already told you. You didn't want to listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he insults them. Listen to this. He goes, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Like you want to know so much about Jesus, you must want to follow him apparently, and which is a huge dig at these guys. So anyway, you can see by the way they responded. Verse 28 says, So they reviled him and said, You're his disciples, but we're the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the, answer, and the man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. Like, this is like, like why are y'all tripping? Like, My parents are tripping. The disciples are weird. The Pharisees, y'all are tripping. Like, can't we just celebrate? That Jesus is all about new beginnings. Jesus is trying to get you new life. That Jesus is trying to get you healed and whole and forgiven. That that's what salvation is. Isn't that what this is all about? We keep reading. So the Bible says, you do, know, or you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, he gives him a lesson, I love this. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man that was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could, not, he could do nothing. And they answered to him, you were born in utter sin, as opposed to regular sin, apparently. You were born in utter sin, and you would dare to teach us? And they threw him out. Guy's been born blind, 30-something years, gets his sight back has to defend the fact that Jesus just spit on his face and healed him for some reason, and then they kick him out of church. Aren't you glad you're here at Jubilee Tri-Valley today? <laughs> so Jesus heard 
Jesus hears the story. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man was a term they used for Messiah. He said, do you believe in the Messiah? And he said, and who is he, sir, so that I may believe? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Everybody say judgment. Yeah. This is another misconception. We hear the word judgment, we don't like it because we think that's what happens when we get into trouble. We have to go to a judge and we get judgment. So we don't, we don't like that. A Jewish person would never interpret it that way. To them, judgment also means salvation. Think about it like this. If you go read the first, uh, what is it, the, the seventh book of the Bible. So you got the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. After that, you have Joshua, and then you have the book of Judges. Everybody say Judges. So, you know, to them, you have to remember that a judge was a deliverer. If you read the whole book of Judges, it's about how they fall into sin, and God sends a hero or a deliverer or a military leader or somebody to free them from their bondage. So we hear the word judgment, we think, oh no, Jesus came so he could strike down lightning bolts and blow us up. This is all bad. They didn't see it that way. They said, no, no, no. Jesus said, I've come in this world for judgment's sake so that I could save the people who wanted to be saved and I could remove the obstacles to your new beginnings. What he was saying was this, is the Pharisees were blind. He said, they're, they're, they're blind because they think they're better than everybody else. They're blind because they really have no need of God. They follow all their rules and because they follow all the rules, they think they're good enough so they're fine with God. And they don't realize that we are all standing in the need of God's grace and God's salvation. And it is those people who recognize that need. I've come to set them free. I've come to give sight to their blind eyes. Here's what you need to know about us as a church. Here's what you need to know about how we see God operating in the lives of people is that Jesus is all about new beginnings. And let me help you out real quick here. We have somewhat of a misconception in, in our, our Western way of church and thinking. When we hear the word salvation, you know what many of us typically think of? We would say this to a friend if we were saying, man, hey, hey are you saved? Hey, Delano has the funniest story. Delano is, um, is downtown in Oakland, and he had to go and get a, um, he had to go do court duty. And so while he was down there, he had to go and check in and do the whole thing, but he ended up, thank God, not having to be stuck in court duty or whatever. And so on the way out, he's trying to find his way back to Bart. And so he finds a guy walking down the street and he thinks, oh, I can ask this guy for directions. He looks like he's a part of the neighborhood or he, he's from around here. And so he goes, hey, do you know where Bart is? Do you know which way I can go? And he basically says, yeah, it's right down here. But, uh, you know, you know, do you, do you have GPS on your phone? He goes, I do, but my phone's not working. And he goes, and the man grabbed me and said, well, I can tell you about the best GPS in the world, and it's Jesus. And then he goes, and then he goes, the guy gave me like a 30-minute lecture on how I was a sinner, and how I was going straight to hell, and I needed to be saved. And he asked me, are you born again, and are you saved? And he, here, here's why I tell that, that story, is I hope you don't run into that guy, number one. And number two is this, is that it, it shows what we think about. We say the words like, are you saved, are you born again? And what we're saying is this, where will you go when you die? Because salvation is somehow linked to you don't go to hell and you get to go to heaven. Can I help you understand something? Jesus does not speak in those terms. I'm not saying that there's no heaven and hell. There's a heaven and hell. My point is this, is salvation is about right here and it's about right now. 
Your new beginning is right here and it's right now. This is not about you getting some fire insurance and not going to hell. Don't get me wrong. That's a good deal. But salvation in the way that Jesus referred to it, see, we think about it as salvation is like, I get to go to heaven one day. And don't get me wrong, that's a sweet deal. That is not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about right here, right now, we want to bring heaven to earth. Right here, right now, we want you to have a new beginning. Right here, right now, we want God operating in your life. Right here, right now, we want you living the best, most abundant life possible in Christ Jesus right now. That's what salvation was. When Jesus would talk about salvation, he would never say, hey, you need to say a prayer so you can go to heaven. You don't ever hear Jesus saying that. He goes, you know what salvation's like? Salvation is like a shepherd who lost a sheep, and when he finds that sheep, that's what salvation is. It's like a father who his son leaves, and he's gone, he ruins and wrecks his life, but when the father is reunited with his son, that's what salvation is like. He talks to one guy, and he goes, you know what? Salvation is like being born again and having new life all over again. He talks to one woman who's, who's desperate in need, and she's at a well going to get water, and he goes, you know what salvation's like? Salvation's like drinking water that's so good and so refreshing and so satisfying that you never thirst again. This is what salvation is. It wasn't about just, just in the future. It's about right now, you experiencing God's best, his new beginning. Somebody say amen. So salvation. Again, to, to kind of recap the story here, you find Jesus is all about new beginnings. You find a man born blind, never seen a sunset, never seen a sunrise, never seen a bird take flight, never seen a rainbow, never seen some of the things that you and I would take for granted on any given day. Never, ever seen those things. Everybody else is asking what day of the week it is, who sinned so that this happened. Is this really a true story? It, it, they got all of their obstacles and all of their issues. And Jesus is trying to get him to his new beginning. All he really wants is his new beginning. And you know what? This is what I want us for a church to become. I want us to become, in essence, the people that create moments where heaven and earth collide. That's what you and I should become. I don't want to be like the neighbors. I don't want to be the back-in-the-day spirit. I don't want to be trying to drag you back into what you used to be. I want to point you to what God said you could become in him. That is your new beginning. And if you have never, ever, ever experienced that before, listen to me, i got so many stories. i got a story of a, of a, of a young man in our church who talks about how he, he lived on drugs and lived doing crime and lived going in and out of prison. And he said, and through all that, I discovered Jesus. And Jesus wiped away my past and gave me a new beginning. I'm telling you, I, did, I got story after story. I got a guy in the church right now, I won't mention their names, just I don't wanna embarrass them by chance, but he goes, man, I, I never went to church. Thought church was dumb. I love to hear his story because he'll tell it to you so, so bluntly. He goes, I thought church was stupid and church people were stupid. And he goes, I had a friend who was a kooky Christian. He used to always bug me about Jesus and always try to tell me about Jesus. And I thought he was stupid too. And he goes, but one day I decided to go to his house and I, I kind of felt led to go over to his house. And he goes, that one conversation, he goes, in that moment, I realized I needed Jesus. I turned my heart over to Jesus and life has never been the same. God gave me a new beginning. I'll read one more for you. I'll actually read this one. This is, this is a young lady at our church. She goes, I was raised in church. But as a, as a teenager, I went through a rebellious phase for a bit. But it got worse after my parents divorced after being married for 22 years. I felt that I not only needed to remove myself from them, but from God as well. I felt completely abandoned, and with one tragedy after another, I was at an all-time low for a six-year period. Through a couple of those years, I tried going to church and was, was even involved a little bit, but I didn't care to receive or give much of myself to others because of a fear of disappointment. 
It had lingered with me since I had come from a, that broken family. I didn't want to connect to a church family, being that I was already group, uh, since I had grouped those two things together. But about a year ago, during a, a conversation with a dear friend, I had mentioned that I was looking for a church to go to, and she brought up Jubilee Tri Valley. She goes, I thought this church is totally out of my way since I live so far, but okay, I'll give it a try. She goes, I'm not lying when I say I instantly felt a tug at my heart and the spirit for me to stay here. Being here has taught me a lot, and God has moved so much, not only through the messages, but through everyone I've met and gotten to know. God's love and acceptance have never felt more evident in my life. I am proud to say that my new chapter and my new beginning has started. We're about new beginnings. We, we, we know that you need a new beginning. And sometimes you go through life and you go through cycles where you need m multiple new beginnings. Like one of them just wasn't enough. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. And if you're in this place and you say, Todd, you know, life is at a struggle right now and, and I could use some help. I could use God's grace and strength in my life. I just want you to slip your hand up in the air. Like right now, my life, where, where it's at right now. Some of you are in here today and you say, man, my life has been lost for so long. I, I got tricked into coming to church today, but I'm here. And I realize that I need a new beginning. For, for whatever it is, no matter if it's a seasonal thing. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus and you, you just say, man, I, it's tough right now and I need a new beginning. Maybe you have never known the Lord and you be saying, Todd, now is the time. I need a new beginning. I want you to know that Jesus is all about your new beginning. That all I want you to do is take a step towards Jesus. All I want you to do is to the best of your ability, as he gives you strength and grace and help, I want you to begin to follow Jesus. Listen to me. You can follow Jesus with your sin. He'll work that out. You can follow Jesus with your doubts. He will work that out. All I want you to do is begin to follow Jesus. And as you do so, he will begin to rewrite the rest of your story. The Bible says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So God, you see these hands raised. You know their stories. You know the details of the stories. My goodness, you know every, every hair on their head, God. You know the details. You're into the details. And so, God, I pray that you would begin to arrange their life in such a way, God, that they would see you at work. They'd feel your presence, God. They would know that you're drawing them back, that you're drawing them closer, that you're moving them into a new path, into a new life. God, we, we, we are all sinners. We all have our issues. And therefore, we are all in need of your grace and forgiveness, God. Not one of us is perfect. God, God, you are. So Father, we pray, come into our hearts and change our life. God, from top to bottom, begin to rearrange us. God, begin to set us on a new path. Begin to teach us and show us new things. God, do what it is that you do. But God, right here in the right now, God, we pray for your new beginnings. Over everyone here with their hand raised, everyone seeking that new, fresh start. God, do what it is that you do. God, you work miracles. You open up blind eyes. God, I, I know you put my life on a brand new path and gave me a start. God, I pray that you do it for them. Father, I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen.